Welcome to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. I'm Erin, pediatric sleep consultant and founder of The Happy Sleep Company. From catnaps to night wakes and regressions to teething, we cover all things baby sleep. With a passion for children's sleep, we're here to help tired families get healthy rest. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today's Q&A Tuesday, and we're going to get into the Q's and the A's very shortly. It's really funny. I saw a review the other day on the podcast, and someone said, what I really like about this podcast is that Erin doesn't go on and on about a whole bunch of personal stuff and tell us a lot of things about her personal life before she starts talking about sleep stuff. And I thought that was really funny. So it said, you know, a lot of other podcasts do this. There's a big intro where they talk about other things that have been going on in their day or their week or their life before they actually get to the topic at hand for that week's podcast episode. And Aaron doesn't do that. The biggest reason I don't do that, well, I mean, first of all, I don't know how interesting my life is to all of you. I, you know, live in Ottawa, Canada. I have a great husband and a 10-year-old daughter. You know, we have a pretty normal life. So I don't have that many stories to regale you with on a weekly basis, first of all. But second of all, before I started Sleep Cues, the Everything Baby Sleep podcast, I actually did a poll on Instagram and I said, hey, how much time can you moms and dads actually devote every week to listening to a podcast episode. Is it? I think the options I gave were like 10 to 20 minutes, 20 to 40 minutes, or 40 minutes to an hour. And the vast majority of people said they could only devote about 10 to 20 minutes. Then some people said 20 to 40, and almost no parents of young children, surprise, surprise, said that they could devote up to an hour to listen to a podcast episode at this stage of their life. And I get that, and that resonated with me, and I listened to you. So when I have a guest on the podcast, I do generally go closer to about 40, 45 minutes because I want to give them time to talk through their advice on whatever topic we're going through with them. So those ones are a little bit longer, but when I do a solo episode about a specific topic, or especially when I do Q&A Tuesday, I want to make it quick and efficient for you. I am a parent and my daughter's 10 now, but she was a newborn once. She was an infant once. She was a toddler once, just like your babies and toddlers. And I know that you don't have a ton of time to devote to this and you want the quick information and you want it efficiently and you want to get on with your day and go change a diaper or maybe have a hot cup of coffee while your baby or toddler is hopefully napping. So With that said, let's get to Q&A Tuesday because I know you only have so much time on your hands, but you want the sleep information. So here's the first question for today. Hi there, I have a question for you. I have a 16-month-old who's a fabulous sleeper. She's still on a two-nap day. I have noticed the last couple of days her naps have been getting shorter and she's been fighting me on them. I know you say between 16 to 18 months to drop to one nap, but how do I know when she's ready or how do I go about doing just one nap? This is a great question. So short answer, I would suggest your 16-month-old is showing you some early signs that she's getting ready to drop to one nap. If your child is not quite or just 16 months and they've only just started having slightly shorter naps or having a bit more fuss going down for their naps, I wouldn't just automatically jump 
to moving to one nap. But certainly if that goes on for more than a week or two, then I would say, okay, you have shown us this wasn't just a phase. This wasn't just some developmental thing you were going through. This is you being ready to move to one nap a day. So if that's been going on for a week or two, we'll start to make that transition. Other signs that your child is ready to move to one nap a day, she just doesn't seem tired anymore leading up to nap time. Whereas previously, when you were 15, 20 minutes away from nap time, you would start to see a little eye rubbing, a little yawning. You're not seeing that anymore. Your child's not exhibiting those signs of tiredness anymore. When you do put your child down for their nap, whereas perhaps they used to just babble or lightly fuss four or five or 10 minutes and then fall asleep, now they are babbling, sitting, standing, playing in their crib for 20 or 30 minutes before they will fall asleep. And they may be entirely refusing one of their two naps in the day, and then you're running out of time for naps because they're taking so long to fall asleep. Those are all pretty good signs that your 16 plus month old is ready to drop their nap. And sometimes it's a little earlier than 16 months. Sometimes it's closer to 18 months or even a little beyond. Depends on the child. Another good thing to watch for, and this one might sound a little funny, but if you can go for a car ride mid-morning, like around 9.30, 10 a.m., and your child will not fall asleep, your 16 plus month old will not fall asleep on a 20, 30 minute car ride to the grocery store and back mid-morning, they're probably ready to drop to one nap a day. Most children who still need a mid-morning nap will not be able to make it through even a short car ride at 9.30 in the morning without falling asleep. But if your child can, it might be another sign that they are ready for those bigger wake windows and they can make it all the way to noon every day for their nap. And, and then you can make that switch. With regards to making that switch, because this parent asked, how do I go about doing just one nap? I would work on it gradually. Normally, I would say, pick the time that your child used to go down for their first nap, say it's 9.30 in the morning, and add 30 minutes. And for a few days, put them down 30 minutes later than normal. And then for a few more days, put them down 30 minutes later yet. And keep doing that until you get to noon, and then you'll have your noon nap. There won't be time for an afternoon nap. It will just be that midday nap, and that'll be all your child has now. When you're first making the transition, you'll probably need to do a pretty early bedtime, as early as 6 o'clock, especially on those days when your child isn't quite at noon with their nap yet, and their nap is ending in the morning, but there's not time for a second nap, you'll have to do an early bedtime. We do have an 11 to 18 month sleep guide at thehappysleepcompany.com that walks parents through a step-by-step guide to the gradual transition from two naps to one. So that might be something to check out if you're about to go through this phase. Next question for today. I have a seven-month-old who can only handle about two and a half hours of awake time. So we still usually do three naps. If he finishes a nap around 3 p.m., do we try for another nap around 5.30 p.m.? Do we put him to bed at that time? All right, quick pause, because what is more important to talk about when it comes to sleep than what we actually sleep on? I want to tell you about my very favorite mattress brand, Obison. Whether we're talking mom and dad, kiddo, or baby, Obison is my go-to for comfort when it comes to your family's sleep surface. You wouldn't want your family to sleep on anything less than the very best, and that starts with the best materials in the world. Obison's mattresses are handcrafted in Canada, and their materials are organic, ethically sourced, and chemical-free. Babies' body temperatures tend to fluctuate while they sleep. Obison's mattresses are breathable and moisture-wicking to help regulate babies' temperature levels throughout the night. And comfort knows no age, so Obison's organic 6-inch mattress for kids also features evolving support as your children grow and grow and grow. 
And when it comes to custom sleep, Obison is all in. That's why in addition to mattresses, they also offer you five distinct pillows with unique designs and different fillings that serve every sleeping style and meet both your toddler's needs and your own as grown-ups. We want your kids sleeping great. Use code HAPPYSLEEPTODDLER at checkout and get $24 off a toddler's shredded rubber pillow for your little one. Head to obison.com and obison.ca and get great sleep started. This is a tricky age. This is a tricky age because most seven to eight month olds do still do quite well with three naps per day, but you do start to run into some tricky timing at the end of the day to fit in that third nap that they usually still very much need. I would say that for a child this age, we do not want them to be napping any later than 5.30 p.m. They need to be awake from their last nap by 5.30 p.m. At this age, I would say earliest bedtime is 6 p.m., latest bedtime is 8 p.m. So that means if your child is due for a sleep earlier than around 5 p.m., great. You could put them down for a cat nap, make sure they're awake by 5.30, and then do their two and a half hours of awake time and put them to bed at 8 p.m. But in this scenario that this mom gave me in this DM she sent me on Instagram, she said he's due for a nap around 5.30. Do we do a nap at that time? No, you do not. Because if you put your seven-month-old down for a nap at 5.30 and he naps until 6, 6.30, you're looking at a really late bedtime and babies don't usually go down very easily if we're putting them to bed way too late into the evening. So if sleep was due at 5.30 p.m., it's too late for another nap for a seven-month-old. It's too early for bedtime in my opinion. I don't do bedtime earlier than six. So this would be a scenario where I would stretch that wake window out, distract your baby with lots of different activities, get him to a six o'clock bedtime and put him down for six o'clock. Yes, it's beyond his two and a half hour wake window. Yes, he might be a little overtired by 6 p.m., but it's kind of the lesser of the two evils because 5.30 is too late for another nap, but too early for bedtime. Next question. I get this question a lot. Do I follow the same wake windows if my baby only had a cat nap prior or do I shorten it? So if your baby just had like a 30, 45 minute nap, do you do their normal full wake window to their next nap or do you do a shorter wake window? I am a big proponent of consistency and generally my answer would be even if the nap is short, you do a full wake window to the next nap to ensure we have enough sleep pressure for the next nap and we're not just in a cycle of short naps, short wake windows, short naps, short wake windows and insufficient sleep pressure. With that said, if your baby has a really short nap, like 20, 30, 40 minutes, And during the next wake window, you feel very strongly that they simply cannot make it to the end of this wake window without being wildly overtired. You could shorten it by around 15 minutes, but I would not shorten a child's wake window more than about 15 minutes because otherwise you do risk them having insufficient sleep pressure at their next nap. So aim for the full wake window. At most, you could do 15 minutes less if they seem really overtired and don't seem to be able to make it. Next question for today, do you have a blog post or any podcast episodes about five-year-olds stalling after bedtime, asking for a friend with a funny little emoji here because she's not asking for a friend, it's her five-year-old who is stalling at bedtime. And we do have blog posts about this. In particular, at thehappysleepcompany.com, we have a blog post about the wake-up clock and how to succeed with the wake-up clock. 
So I do recommend taking a look at that if your child is over about three years of age and you're experiencing these difficult bedtimes, lots of stall tactics. It's all very normal for a preschooler or a kindergartner in this mom's case, but there are ways around it. The issue with the wake-up clock is that a lot of parents only consider it a tool for early morning wake-ups, that they just use it to say, okay, you have to stay in your bed in the morning until the sun comes up on the clock. The thing is, you can use this clock, and I recommend you use this clock for bedtime stalling, for overnight wake-ups, and for early morning wake-ups, because then your child is not confused. If your child can have a massive tantrum at bedtime, stall, 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 wake up during the night, come to your room, yell at you, but then just happens to wake up at 5.45 a.m. and wait for the sun to come up on the clock and you congratulate them on a really great night, they didn't really have a really great night. They had a massive tantrum at bedtime. So they're kind of confused about the expectations around sleep. I can have a tantrum at bedtime. I can run out of my room seven times during the night. But as long as I'm in my bed, when that clock turns yellow, it's all good. That's not really the expectation most parents want to set. So instead, I would explain to your child with the wake-up clock, this is about going to bed quickly and quietly when the clock turns, let's say, blue, if you're using a grow clock, for example. Even if you're using the hatch, you could set it for blue or red for nighttime. If you can stay in your bed quietly from the time the clock turns blue until the clock turns yellow, we're going to do a sticker on a chart for example. So this is where we start talking about age-appropriate rewards and consequences. And you as a family have to decide what you're specifically comfortable with, what will work for your individual child, because children are so individual and won't be motivated by the same things as their neighbor. So we need to think about some age-appropriate rewards and consequences, but explain to your child how this works, that it's not just about having a tantrum at bedtime, getting out of their bed all night long, and then happening to be in bed when that sun comes up on the clock. It's about respecting the sleep time boundaries, getting into bed quickly and quietly when the clock is a certain color, and staying in their bed quietly until the clock is another color, like yellow, sometime past 6 a.m. So have a look at that blog post on the website. It's a good one. It can be helpful for a lot of parents who are trying to navigate this new stage of the big kid bed or the preschooler years, or their defiant kindergartner, and how to really use the wake-up clock to set yourself up for success. Final question for today. This is a good one. What if my child wakes up around 7.15, 7.30, and naps around 12.30, 12.45 every day, and is fine for a 7.30 bedtime? I do often see you saying that a child around 18 months should nap at noon every day and go to bed around 7. But my child's 18 months and he's going to bed for his nap later than that and he's going to bed for the night later than that. He naps well and he sleeps through the night. But should I be moving all of his sleep earlier? Mama, don't fix what's not broken. And that is what I told this mom when I wrote her back to her DM on Instagram. Yes, lots of 16 to 18 month olds, children around that age, I would suggest most do best with a noon nap because if we start to creep later than 12 p.m., we start to get overtired and that can lead to nap time protest or short naps. I also find that children this age usually do best with around a 7 p.m. bedtime and sometimes even a bit earlier than that. But not every child is exactly the same as the next. And this mom is telling me her child naps around 12.30, 12.45 
naps well, goes to bed around 7.30, and sleeps through the night. I wouldn't change a thing. If something starts to look amiss, if she starts to see overtired signs from her child at nap time, she starts to experience night wakes, then maybe we need to look at whether this child's schedule is a little off. That's not the case. Don't fix what's not broken. And this is not just the answer to this question. It's the answer to so many questions. No matter what you read in a book or what you hear online or what your friend at your local mommy group is doing with her baby, Just because it doesn't match exactly what you're doing with your baby doesn't mean either of you is wrong. If it works for you and it works for your baby and it works for your family, I don't suggest you fix things that aren't broken. We all stress so much about our little ones. We're parents. We want the best for them. We want to consume all the information we can to make sure we're making educated choices about their sleep, about their nutrition, about their activities. But we also have parental instincts that we have to remember to put first sometimes. And if you hear something that doesn't line up with what you're doing for your baby, but you feel like your baby's doing great with what you're currently doing, I would keep at it. That's all the questions for this week. I hope everyone got a little nugget from there today and it helped you out with something you're going through or something you might be going through soon. Thanks for listening. And I hope everybody has a great week. Thanks for listening to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review and share this episode with a mom or dad who might need some rest. Connect with us on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company and check out our website, thehappysleepcompany.com for loads of blogs, sleep guides, and information about how we work with families one-on-one to get sleep on track.